You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 56. Today, I'm joined by Randine Lewis, and we're discussing the energetics of the soul's transformation in the three stages of pregnancy. Hi, everybody. I'm Claire Pyers, and I'm joined today by Randine Lewis. Hi, Randine. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, Claire. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's great to have you here, and and I'm so looking forward to this topic. You sent through such exciting topics, and um, we'll have to have you back to um, to discuss the other ones, which were also so interesting to me. But the uh, the one that we're discussing today, the energetics of the soul's formation during the three phases of pregnancy. I feel like I feel like that statement it requires a pregnant pause at the end just to allow the listeners to just soak that in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to propose this topic for today? Oh, I just love this, Claire. This is so amazing. Thanks for presenting it in that way with that pregnant pause because that pregnant pause is is like that's that's how life comes into being. And the classics or the the Taoist view is that we have we have this pause that life begins from stillness it begins from the void it begins from nothing and then how does this no thing become something how does the Tao give birth to one and and so the only place that we can really go with that honestly is to be in wonder and awe of the miracle that life even comes to be. And, you know, they say that we begin with with pure heaven, pure heaven, whatever that is, the purity of heaven. It's like there there is no particular thing that can potentially go into duality and corrupt the purity. But pure heaven has to slow down to the level of consciousness and become the Yuan Shen or the original spirit, which is the undifferentiated light of illumination prior to manifestation. And then the Yuan Shen has to slow down its vibration as well to become Yuan Shi, the breath of life, the animating spirit of existence and yuan chi then has to condense to form the original essence the yuan jing that is that seed of potential prior to materialization always in the background always present always available but only acknowledged when one can know the subtlety of the spirit of the receptive and return to the awareness of heaven within me. And so it gives us the equation to just be in that state of awe and wonder that how did life even come into existence? How did I get here? And so we can impose that model on, um, you know, really anything in the universe, anything in the cosmos, 
and really see scientifically that, yes, this makes sense. This is like the, the quantum equation for how materialization happens. And then, you know, one of the reasons that I find this so full and that I'm so in love with this is not so much that I'm enamored by baby making, but because I'm so intrigued by the fact that we even get here at all. And what is that about? And how can we participate in that miracle? And those of us that work in Chinese medicine and Fertility especially, although, you know, it's not only fertility, I'm, I'm doing some end-of-life things as well here. It's the, it's the beginning into materialization and then the return back to the Tao when materialization is finished, its curriculum. <laughs> I always love your answers, Randine. Uh, you answer the question that's asked and you also answer the question that I don't have the words to articulate and you do it all <laughs> all together in a succinct package and it's just so it's just so beautiful but and I love I love that um you know I was I was imagining as you were saying talking about that transition from Yuan Shen to Yuan Qi to Yuan Jing and that how life becomes more and more dense in order to become possible I also like the idea that there's a curriculum that we're here for and then at the other end we kind of reverse that process. It's very Taoist and I know that a lot of what you teach comes from Taoist teachings but I, I like that cycle, that it's a life cycle that we go through and I think it's really important to to remember that we are just participating in a cycle. You know, we focus, you know, a lot of our patients focus a lot on how do we get pregnant, you know, in the first place. And I just need to, I just need to want it enough. And I've just got to slow down and do all the things, you know, make sure we're having sex at the right time and take my herbs and go to yoga. And, you know, what you're describing is something that's layers above that in terms of subtlety and and vibration and allowing the space for those shifts in, in density of, you know, Yuan Shen to Yuan Qi to Yuan Jing. We need a space for that to even occur and not just a space within the woman. There's obviously a dynamic within the couple, yeah, between the, the seed of the man and the egg of the woman. Yeah, yeah, and that's... You know, that creates the the dynamic potential that is the invitation, the invitation for life. And it does not have to be a conscious desire. And you see so many dear couples that are so desperately, you know, why why is life not responding to my call, to my desire? I want this so badly. <laughs> and like, you know, just really working themselves into these, you know, gyrations psychically of pleading and begging and I will do anything and I will take anything and I will, and yet they remain at the same density. <laughs> There's no shift in consciousness to the level of subtlety where you open up to that, that that is the invitation, that you become, you see yourself as the vessel through which the subtlety manifests 
And it's so, I guess it's, it's one of the most frustrating things of the, you know, my intention when I'm working with a couple or with an individual to try to help them get out of the, the pain and suffering of that level of striving <laughs> and, um, you know, to, to shift their density a little bit, shift their consciousness to a higher level so that they can let some of that effort fall off of them. And the longing for life does not become this, you know, grueling, dragging a bag of rocks up to the top of the mountain. And then, oh, I've finally gotten it. And it's more of an effortless opening up to the potential that's already there. And that, to me, is the equation for health, the equation for life, the equation to overcome any form of suffering that we experience from birth to death. <laughs> and if we, can, if we can begin to experience that prior to manifestation of the you know next generation through the individual and that that all already becomes a working part of our consciousness then we can begin to practice that it's it's like we're already offering that to the future children that are coming into manifestation first of all that that can be the legacy that we give them <laughs> rather than simply taking on the load of karma that we have to give them from our unfinished business. But then we can, you know, move through life beyond the contraction of fear that's so prevalent and so heavy and is such a burden when there's the, you know, the idea of some sort of pathogenic factor <laughs> that might take me over at this point in time or uh, the fear of death itself. And you know, watching people who are at the final transition go through those same stages of letting go of control and, you know, kind of going through the needle of their own fears and limitations before they can, I was going to say, blissfully expand into the dimension beyond. But it isn't always, they don't always experience it that way. That's the hope that they can experience it that way. Mm. You know, the point is, it's always available. It's always available. And, uh, you know, the Tao tells us that all the time. It's always there within us. Use it as you will. It never runs dry. Oh, it's just so, it's so nourishing to hear, to hear these types of discussions, for me anyway, and I'm sure there's listeners out there as well who are just soaking this up going, oh. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also aware that we don't have all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, how do we put that into something we can work with? Like, okay, this, this feels really good. It, it's wonderful to have that expansion and to really feel the miracles that we have uh, the ability to work with. But how do we actually work with it? How do we make sense of it? I don't know that we'll get into a lot of, of treatment strategies today. Um, I, we might be able to, but what I like to do is really 
give it a, a framework where our treatments, when we're evaluating a patient and we're coming up with a diagnosis, that we don't get overly locked into this is what's wrong with you and this is how I'm going to fix you, because that's pretty low vibration as well. And, you know, they might experience uh, some improvement in their menstrual cycle or, you know, their fertility or whatever, the way that their heart feels or but I think having a new context in which to work is as important, if not more important, than developing appropriate treatment strategies. So I really want to focus on this topic of what is it that we're working with? What is this invocation for a new incarnation? And what does the Taoist origins of our medicine tell us about this? And when I explain this to somebody that I'm working with, they feel like they're uh, being invited into the mystery, like, oh, I am a part of this. I don't have to do this on my own. And, you know, she can help me get into this state. And, and, and it makes my job so much easier. So there's a, there's a little story about how life comes into into being, and a lot of this comes from Jeffrey Yuen's teachings. A lot of it comes from you know other Taoist readings that I've done. And, but the one that really speaks to me is that the you know the clouds precipitate this potential that we've already talked about from heaven in the cosmos. There is this invitation. There's going to be life. And so in the individuals through whom life is going to take form, the process of sexual intercourse becomes like a ritual, not just having an orgasm, not even making love. <laughs> and I love this idea this this came from Jeffrey not not only about making love the love should already be there it doesn't have to be made <laughs> but to begin the process of the expression of something sacred so that you can literally change the atmosphere and the atmosphere is is divine you are going into the temple with your beloved and by really opening the heart to another, there, there is this honoring and honoring how life comes into being in the first place. And here I am in sacred opportunity with another. And we're walking into the, into the temple of this exchange. And we're going to create a vibration. And as we create this vibration, that vibration itself, and that vibration is dependent upon my own Jing Shen, my own quintessential spirit, that my, my heart and my kidney essence coming together through this sacred act is going to create this particular vibration that's going to invoke and draw down the precipitation of the incarnating pole, which enters through the pelvic region where there is this 
exchange of water through sexual fluids. There's a difference between the arousal of a man and the arousal of a woman during sexual encounters. In, in the woman, it's more of a heart, kidney axis. And, and this is, you know, proven by brain studies and what goes on with her. It involves her heart. It involves her frontal lobe. But in a man, it involves the, the lungs and the kidneys. And so her heart is opening down to her womb. Her womb is opening up to her heart. And his lung initiates the lung-kidney axis through panting. And so he creates this you know, kind of pulley <laughs> that draws the pole in through his panting. And, and this creates the dynamics that are necessary for this pole, which is related to the lungs, gets drawn into this vibration in the pelvis. And in the cosmos, the star seeds of the shin are scooped up in the ladle of the Big Dipper and then poured down into this sacred atmosphere and right into the heart of the developing embryo that causes fertilization to happen. So that's how it begins. And so we can kind of take a pregnant pause right there as well and like, whoo, okay, that's what we're working with. That's, that's step number one. That brings forth fertilization. That brings forth how this, this Poe, I kind of see this Poe and this precipitation and, and kind of the experience of it is like this lightning bolt that something from beyond gets, you know, sucked into manifestation and begins something new. And the amazing thing is that, you know, the reverse of that happens when somebody dies. <laughs> it's that same, you feel that vibration doing the reverse of that and, but you feel it. You feel that electrified atmosphere if you have access to the subtle. And I don't want to yes. make that sound special because it's not. It's just if we're overly focused on the density, we can't come into the feeling of that. <laughs> so anybody and everybody can have that experience. And, and a lot of people do, and they describe it as something like, oh, miraculous. I just knew I had this feeling. So. And it's, it's interesting. I was just discussing this yesterday with a friend, and we were talking about pregnancy and, um, and what it was like to be pregnant and how early in the process did we know that we were pregnant. And, and I, said to, I said to this friend of mine, I said, you know, it is just, for me, it was such an unmistakable feeling, such an unmistakable feeling like a great big huge billboard, <laughs> there is another life inside me you know, and, um, and she, she agreed. She was like, it's just, she said, I agree with you that she knew so early, even before positive pregnancy test would be possible. 
So we're talking like within a couple of days after ovulation. And oh, yeah. This, this overwhelming feeling of knowing that there's a life inside you, which is it, hard to imagine possibly for for people who haven't been pregnant um, and and not all not all women have this experience either. But it, it's interesting, as you say, because on in some regards it is a subtle energy, but it's also very very gross in the sense that it's um, it's a it's a huge change within within the body of a woman when the soul comes in. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know that experience is more is more alive than life itself. I know that makes no sense, but that's the experience of it. And, you know, I can give example after example of being with people while even implantation happened and feeling that. And the fact that one hasn't experienced it, you know, it may sound like, okay, this is just gibberish, but the understanding is that it is going on, whether we are conscious of it or not. And it doesn't require being conscious of it in order for this to happen, of course. Um, I know for myself that one of my pregnancies, you know, of course you have that feeling of, okay, now I feel the life of this child. I feel the soul of this being within me. And this was one of the pregnancies that I miscarried. And I woke up one morning and it was gone. I had no physical symptoms. There wasn't spotting. There wasn't any, anything at all. It was like my eyes woke up in the morning and, huh, that's, that's not here any longer, was the first thought. And then, of course, I went into panic and blah, 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 blah. And, and I called my doctor that, that day and said, my pregnancy's over. I'm miscarrying. And he just thought, you know, this dear, crazy woman, come on in, we'll do an ultrasound. And sure enough, just knew. Yeah. Life comes and, and life goes. Another thing that I, I wasn't it. even really planning on talking about with this is that the during the early aspect of pregnancy that begins with fertilization that begins with that zygote formation and goes throughout the first trimester that belongs to the po the the po itself now we can only speak about this from you know our limited mental understanding but the the decision is made to incarnate, to experience enfleshment, but perhaps not take it all the way through. And so I wor I use the word decision, and it's not like this little embryo saying, mm, no thanks, this is enough. But at some level that we can't quite grasp with our logical minds, it it is said that the experience of life and the ability to be in form at any time during the first trimester can be changed, can be reversed. 
and that soul returns to its heavenly origin, goes back to the Tao. And that is part of its uh, destiny. That is its destiny, not part of its destiny. That is meant to be. That is not a mistake. But because we're wrapped up in the density of our desires, all of a sudden, that child, which was supposed to graduate from college and, you know, take care of me when I'm old and all of these things, now it feels like a tragic mistake. And I experience the loss of that. I go into the morning and the loss of my own metal, my own um, grief, my own loss. It's my loss. It's not their loss. So that kind of brings us into the the first trimester. And the energetics of the first trimester is that this is where Poe makes manifestation, is earthed into existence. And so earth banks the Poe during the first trimester. So much of the way that we speak about incarnation has to do with the trinity and you know the three treasures and and so the first model of pregnancy in the three trimesters is broken down into the first first trimester is given to the pole that banks itself earths itself into existence that takes form and it's really interesting because the um the first first trimester is where all of the organ structures are are formed and it's very very consistent with our understanding of what goes on embryologically during the first trimester this is where the pole banks itself into earthly manifestation and then during the second trimester the second trimester belongs to Shen, and the establishment of the curriculum or the lesson plan for this soul's incarnation and how its very character is going to be developed. And, you know, for anybody who has, has had a child or experienced the, the miracle of life coming into existence, you know that they don't come in just this blank thing (laughs) there is already a character quite developed and then the third trimester belongs to the hun and and the hun is how it it sets up how that curriculum or that life lesson will be carried out in time for that individual's upcoming life and so the way that we go from Jing to Po to the earth banking manifestation to the Shen and to the Hun, we've completed the five elements in reverse. And so this reverse cycle, the reverse Sheng cycle, is how manifestation comes into being. And when we're working with Qian Gui, we're also working with the reverse of the Sheng cycle in how menstrual blood is formed. And so that's the soul's domain. 
Now, we also have the 10 months of pregnancy that go in the forward shing cycle. It's a, it's a different, uh, different breakdown, but we won't have time to go over that today because I want to elaborate a little bit more on, you know, these three trimesters and what they're about. The first thought that I had was around when the, the soul of the child comes in, you know, pregnancy and and the whole conception process, often we're dealing with, with couples and we're dealing with a, a man and a woman and the process is focused on on these two people. And, and there are practitioners who also take into account the third person, um, the, th- the third client, the third patient, which is the unborn child, and they take that the energetics of, of that being um, and consideration of that being before conception happens. But I guess I was just curious to explore the ideas around you know, how do we care for and protect the soul of this person? And at what stage do we need to begin to take more consideration for the baby? I'm just curious to hear your reflections on that. What a beautiful question. I think that, you know, again, in this this sacred field in which we work, I, I don't consider it so much belonging to the baby. I I can't I can't quite go there in experience. I love the idea of it, but the experience of it is I'm with heaven at that point. I'm experiencing the the invitation cuz the the way that it really is presented and the way that I have a relationship with it is that at the moment of incarnation, at the moment of conception, I don't view it so much as this like gray being floating around, you know, waiting to get sucked into somebody's pelvis. But I see it more as the all of existence is captured in that lightning bolt of potential and takes a snapshot of all of existence at that moment in time and wraps it up through the kidney's ability to consolidate in this being. And that is its ensoulment. And so I'm not trying to visualize, and this is the reason I do this is it gets kind of quirky when you're working with, you know, do you have the experience of the soul that is coming to you? Do you, and, and a lot of times they will like use their imagination, which is so wrapped up in their desires and, you know, you know, start to see what that baby looks like. And, you know, she has hair like me and she has my husband's smile and she, you know, is going to have grandma's name. And, and while all of that might be true for that individual, which is 100% okay, I don't want to get into that area with them because if the way that they've imagined it does not come to be, that their idea of incarnation never happens, then 
they feel like they're a failure at a spiritual level, that they couldn't participate in bringing this soul into existence. And so I'm, I am concerned about that with the patients that come to me. I ask questions. I ask what their relationship is with the soul um, in order that I can serve them better. And I want to know, I really want to know how they hold this sacred dynamic or if they don't at all. If it's like, you know, we just need to get in there and do IVF as quickly as possible because my doctor says we're too old and I've got all of these issues. And and it's like I have, I have a much harder time participating in that with them because it's very chaotic. It creates a very chaotic field. And their fear takes over so much that all I can do is for them hold the potential that if life is to come through them, through this procedure, then in what way can we bring that sacred environment into the reproductive clinic or or whatever else? So um, I know I've gone off on a tangent here, but I think that is the best way to hold the space for the soul of the incoming child. And I consider it my sacred duty. Yeah, I think one of the worst things that we do to our children is to impose upon them what we think they ought to be like, not only prior to their conception, but after they're birthed into existence and we start to overly form them and lay our own burden on them. So I'm actually helping people kind of open up more to the miracle and to the experience of the soul rather than how to have the idea of it or the concept of it. I don't know if that makes any sense as to the question that you were asking, but it's kind of what I do with it. I honor whatever it is that they feel about the incarnation of the soul. But I also don't see myself as this you know, floating gway that's going to be exiting at the end of this life as an entity. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I have to get out of my brain's desire and my brain's way of compartmentalizing and segmenting and separating, and, and this is what I'm working with. I have to, like, give it all back and say, I don't know. I really don't know that there is something so sacred I can't even put it into words. And and I get to be a part of that. And I don't know because I am, I have this density here that makes up my sea of marrow. I'm automatically going to impress that on the way that I perceive this process. So I try to not ever impose that on a couple or on an individual but just to be in that place myself, I think that's the best place that I can be to serve them and to honor whatever their belief is about this. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the perfect response. We're not um, making our patients pregnant. We're not forcing life. <laughs> uh, we're, we act as 
mentors to a certain extent. You know, we hold the signs, <laughs> the signposts for our for our patients. One way is down this way. You know, it's like you say. You know, we extend an invitation to to our patients to um, to to heal what needs to be healed and to adjust what they can adjust. Um, it's not up to us to force anything into existence or to play with imaginary ideas that don't necessarily serve a purpose. You know, when we're talking about the the soul's formation and that the spark of conception occurs and and you mentioned that well the heart in the embryo is the first thing that's formed you're talking about the physical heart like the the physiological heart are you also talking about the heart as in you know the shin yeah i'm i'm talking about the shin because it you know we know embryologically that the heart is not the first thing that appears the first thing that appears is what we would call the original chong. We, we have this pole developing first. And this pole that develops eventually forms like the notochord. And I, I see that, you know, the spinal column, as the transmission of this jing shen through life, the water-fire access, the way that this electrification brings us through the animation of life itself. So the very first thing that does form is there's this kind of enfleshment around this empty center that then starts to fill in. <laughs> and it, you know, it really is this, it's consistent with the poetic language that we're using in, you know, pouring down the star seeds from the Big Dipper. And, you know, some of the, and and that life comes through the mysterious path and goes from this void of Shen Zhao into, you know, sparking this Jing Shen access, this water fire access, and then everything starts to fill in. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. It's heart-blowing. <laughs> so I, I see that as the it's very heart of existence, which is Shen, which is everything which is the spirit of existence. There's nowhere that it is not. And I can't contain it, but I can be in the place where that miracle is drawn into the experience that I am asked to participate in, in this sacred environment with another being that comes to me for help. It's really such a miracle. It's such a miracle that it can happen at all. And yet life wants to happen. You know, once once we're here and whether we're human beings or whether we're other animals or other sentient beings or even plants, you know, bacteria, viruses, like our, our primary objective, no matter what type of life we, we are assigned to, is to stay alive. It's, it's the primary motivation. You know, everything else comes after that. But primarily, we, we, you know, life wants to continue. Life wants to be here. So in some ways, it's kind of like, how the hell does this actually happen? There's so many things that's required and so many, you know, moving parts and so many things that need to happen in the, in the process. But then on the other hand, there's such drive and there's such passion and vigor 
for wanting to be here. You know, life itself, the force of life itself is quite unrelenting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we, with our finite minds, look at that and, you know, I sometimes think, huh, why? (laughs) I don't know. I guess uh, if given a choice right now, I might think twice about it. (laughs) And I do have these conversations with patients who do have the belief in or the experience in, or it is their reality that they have a, a connection or an awareness or belief, whatever, of an incarnating soul. And and I ask them questions like, you know, so what do you think that that, that the feel of that would want out of you? Uh, do you need to control it a little more? Do you need to make more money? Do you need to find the right reproductive clinic? Is, is that the kind of thing that it might be looking for? Because in my experience, life's drawn to life. And how much are you living? How much are you expressing your own shen in this life? Because that's what really creates the vibration. And what I see is most people on the infertility journey basically shut off their own vibration and become more dense. And I think like, who or what would ever want to incarnate through that? It just, it's closed. It's just full of fear and control. So I I try not to, you know, shame them about where they are, but really invite them into a less controlling relationship with this potential and much more empowering when they can let go of the need to try to control it, they have much more power that they reside more along the, you know, the vibration that heaven's potential has for them, their own shin. And, you know, okay, I'm going to insert a little bit here during the second trimester. Once that individual has accepted life and said, okay, then that's the establishment of the lesson plan where, where Shen is, is programmed. And the way it's programmed is through pitches of vibration through the Fu organs that sets up the life theme. So you think of heaven itself or the winds of existence, the eight winds, eight extras, kind of blowing through the full organs and these pitches are set up to establish how life is going to be the life lesson or the curriculum is going to be established in this life and and i just love that idea these pitches of vibration in the full organs because you can you can experience that you can feel like wow in the very bowels of my being are my own program chin that this empty tube which was given still has its link with heaven and it has more to do with what am I willing to release and let go of so that I can experience the fullness of what life has in store for me fully in this existence. You know that's so oh I just love this and I'm and I'm thinking about, you know, I'm reminded of patients who um, particularly, you know, obviously doing a lot of work with, with women's health and fertility and then 
working, continuing to work with these women, you know, into their 40s and um, as they as they hit menopause. And a lot of women have issues with their gallbladder around this time, you know, one of the foo organs and the gallbladder stores and then releases and stores and releases. And, um, you know, so many people have problems with their gallbladder and so many of so many women have them cut out. I know. I know. And, and, and hearing this in the context of, you know, this is part of your curriculum. You can't just pull out a chapter of a book. Like there's obviously the curriculum is still is still there, but it's, you know, you, you're doing it with one hand tied behind your back. Absolutely. Oh. And, you know, it's just, it's so when we look at things as merely being these dense physical structures that aren't necessary for survival, sure, take my tonsils, take my appendix, take my uterus, take my gallbladder. I don't need it. And while that might be true, and I don't shame anybody for that, um, you know, we do what we have to do in order to experience life as best we can. But just how easily it's it's thrown away rather than honored. Like, I don't think it was a mistake that this thing got in me, even though it's like congested a lot here. It's like, what do I have to do? One of the things that I'm always doing is when this quote unquote problem comes up, either with myself or with somebody that I know or am working with, I want to go into it. Like, is it really a problem? What is it teaching me? What is it about? What does it represent? What is this gallbladder thing about? And, you know, it's a curious organ. What are these curious? It's very curious to me. What does it, what does it really mean for me? And I don't have to go that far. I don't have to go into all of the classic texts to see what it meant for, you know, Guangdi or Chibo or any of that, sometimes I only have to look directly within and say, oh, I know what that's about. I don't necessarily want to see it, but there it is. There it is. It's asking for me to let go of something yet again. And that may not mean letting go of something physical or, you know, we're so afraid of letting go. And every time we do, something new is given. And it's usually an aspect of self, an aspect of ego that's being asked to be relinquished so that more Shen can be given, so that we become less dense, so that we vibrate at a little higher level, that we are constantly moving back toward heaven on this earthly existence, yet fully, fully rooted on the earth. And we can't move toward heaven unless our feet are on the ground. We do not become segmented and like, okay, I'm just going to check out of this existence while I'm supposed to be living it and not go through the difficulty of my curriculum. I just know personally that every time it felt like there was a dramatic shift in my consciousness, it came from being brought to my knees. It did not come from, oh, I think this would be a good idea. I'd like to have this. <laughs> it's when I see that, oh, life doesn't work out that way. And I'm constantly willing to surrender to life as it is 
reality as it is, truth as it is coming through in this moment, however it appears? And do I have the courage to relinquish my own desire to control it and make it conform to my expectations? And that includes bringing life into existence or when does life check out? It includes both ends of the spectrum. And I can feel, and people tell me all the time, like, wow, when I'm with you, I can really, really feel that. And then I go back to my life and, you know, I go back to my own level of control and, and like, it's okay. It's a process. (laughs) We're, we're constantly being invited into that by life. I think like the best I can do is to, you know, bow my head a little further. (laughs) I'm curious to, I'm curious to know, we've, we've spoken about the, the curriculum and how the, the second trimester is about setting up the curriculum. And, and the third trimester is where the Hun comes in. One of the questions that came to mind was, what about all these preemie babies? And they don't have their third trimester in the womb. They are incubated in a plastic crib in a hospital usually, um, and fed through a tube. Is there a way that we can support, I mean, in, in, in part, it's like, wow, okay, this is the curriculum, way to, you know, way to go. This is, you know, this is quite different than, than the usual. But, you know, is, are there ways that we can support the baby, the mother, in, in what appears to be a disrupted process? Mm, beautiful question. Beautiful question. Not that I have a beautiful answer to it, but the way that I look at that, the, the last, the last trimester is governed by the Hun and how that curriculum is going to be carried out in time, but experienced in this moment. And, you know, we, I think Claude Lahr, speaks about it somewhere, hun communication, where we're not um, hurling words at one another in order to communicate, but there's something ethereal and more direct in that hun communication. And so, you know, this happened to me. I had a, I had a preemie who was born um, at 32 weeks and was in um, neonatal ICU for a couple of weeks and you know it was at that point I I it was really tragic like my child's no longer within me and yet is not ready for life and all I could do was try to be with him in that sacred space of honoring in a more ethereal way that his curriculum was just right for him, that he was propelled into into this existence early, that he had a shock to his system that's preparing him for something in life. And boy, if you, you know, met the guy today, he's an adult right now, you can see that, wow, that was really meant to be. And so, again, we judge, you know, I know I myself, I, I can't 
speak for everybody, but I, I judge my own circumstances during my early childhood development and say, you know, I could have done a better job (laughs) if only I didn't have, you know, these circumstances or the way that this came into being that like, oh, I should have been parented better. I should have been treated better. I should not have had these hurts and these wounds and this trauma. And I was like, and who are you to say? And I have to bow a little deeper and say, all right, right. That was the establishment of my curriculum and how it was to be carried out. And during the first cycle of seven, which is a continuation of pregnancy, like the pregnancy itself, it's just like, okay, here we are now expelled into existence. And then the the blueprint itself, which was given at the moment of conception via that original chong, now during the first cycle of seven in my life is setting up some of the things that I'm going to have to quote unquote deal with or overcome or some of the issues that I'm going to have that will challenge my jing throughout this life. And they do. Believe me, they do. Even though I, you know, I might speak about like, oh, the glory of heaven. I go through as much pain and suffering as anybody else. I have my own issues. I get depressed and melancholy and what is it about? But I do bow eventually. I get to the place where I surrender to all of this is in its horrific perfection. (laughs) And I get to be a part of it. Yeah. I like that phrase, horrific perfection. And I can also identify, you know, the way that you said the glory of heaven. And then there's there's so many moments when when all of us at one time or another, the glory of heaven. Oh. Right. Especially when I'm experiencing life as like this, I feel like a worm just crawling through the mud. I don't know what's next. <laughs> kind of hard to access but it's always given it's always given Um, I'm just going to switch topics a little here Um, there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on in the medical system here around around birthing and around childbirth and women are often, you know, cared for and the relationship they have with their caregivers is all very lovely and very, you know, nice and sweet. And then as soon as we get towards, you know, what I refer to as the business end, um, you know, a woman kind of gets <laughs> somewhere between 38 and 40 weeks, you know, all of a sudden they start talking about dead babies and this is going to happen if you don't have your baby soon and there's all this pressure around time frames and when's the baby going to come and, um, you know, medical inductions and then we're trying to do acupuncture inductions to try and at least help be a a gentler alternative than a medical induction if we can get that baby to want to come. What are your thoughts around the flow-on effect of, or if, if there is a flow-on effect and if it even matters ultimately, you know, the way that we, that we treat women and scare them when they're pregnant? Boy, that's a that's a big question because it has to do with like the whole 
medical establishment itself. It's based on fear and the avoidance of death. And, you know, cut out the disease rather than use it. <laughs> um, and and there's no no mistaking that every every parent to be, you know, there is this level of fear that what if something happens? And it's it's very true that a lot of a lot of very tragic scenarios used to happen. A lot of dead babies, dead mamas, um, because birth is extremely traumatic. And and there can be a lot of things that don't turn out the way that we might envision, but it does not have to be held in fear. I, you know, fear is no different really than the experience of going into the unknown with excitement. And, and excitement does not have to mean like, oh, yippee. Um, but it can be like, okay, here I go. I surrender to it. I, I go through the eye of the needle right with it. And, there are various deaths that happen along the way in pregnancy. And the final death, if we have a live birth and a healthy mom, the, the baby dies to in utero life. And, and that death is represented by the descent into the pelvis of the mother as, you know, do 20 rubs up against Ren 1. <laughs> And, you know, they, they take their, their crown from heaven and submit to being earthed into this existence now, expelled through the propulsion of the wood dynamic. But the, the mom is also dying. She's dying to who she was before the birth of that child. If it's her first child, like, okay, everything changes at this moment. And she has to encounter a lot of that. So hopefully throughout the pregnancy, and you know, there's no way to do this in a, in a podcast, but throughout the pregnancy, there are, you know, the 10 months of pregnancy, there are various aspects that involve the development of the incarnating soul. And also the, the heart of the mom and and what she's going through and if throughout her pregnancy she is honoring that then she feels stronger she feels more in charge she's done the work that is asked of her during pregnancy which is not just to blindly incubate this new being within her but to really participate in the unfoldment of her own soul in preparing to raise this child now and if she has done that then she is much less susceptible to undergoing the types of trauma that we fear so greatly and if she has really done the work and really consciously been a participant in this process that life is birthing through her then she can let go into the birthing process and even though, yes, it's painful and it's grueling and it's hard, she can, you know, like scream that child into existence orgasmically, ecstatically. <laughs> uh, 
All right. That's kind of a little flavorful choice of words. But, um, <laughs> oh, I think, you know, I, what, one of my childbirth experiences was exactly like that. The other one was wow. not, but one of them was. One of them was. No, I, I wouldn't of course say, it was, Claire. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say orgasmically, but, you know, like just ecstatic. I refused every flavour of pain medication that was offered to me. My obstetrician was rolling his eyes at me. I just said, I don't need pain relief. Just go away. Oh. And, you know, I I really, I was so deep within myself and I, I was imagining that yes. my husband would be massaging my sacrum like he did with my first labour and I didn't want him touching me. I was shushing <laughs> anyone that was coming anywhere near me. I was just like, get away from me, just shh. It's such a powerful um, thing to experience. Yes. Oh, and that description of it, Claire, is so perfect because that fierceness that comes through you where like, no, I will not, I will not, you not touch me. You are a manifestation of the mysterious mother at that moment that you become mm. the vessel through which life comes. Like you are moved out of the way. You're not sitting there like, gee, what does Claire feel about this? <laughs> it's like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> You become a participant yeah. in the creation process, that you are that vessel through which life comes. And every single woman has the opportunity to get to that point. And, you know, those that work with me know that they're kind of going to be getting that, yeah. even though I'm not, you know, I don't have a clinical practice right now where I follow people through pregnancy like that. But yeah, that's that's what we have the potential to do. And you know that when you were talking about that second birth for you and what that was like, I'm going through the process with uh, a colleague of mine and a friend who's uh, going through the final transition, and she's that way. Like, mm -mm. I don't want medication, but it's like she's going through it in the very same way. So I, I really like bringing, bringing it full circle to this birth death thing. And I, I don't mean it to sound macabre because it, I don't have the experience of that at all. But, you know, the beauty and the honor that we all went through the birthing process. We all go through the dying process. Yeah, none of us is going to get out of this thing alive. <laughs> and every moment of every day is an opportunity to surrender to that. And then we vibrate higher. Then we become more powerful. Then we become the conduits of the power of this medicine that we have the potential to embody. Or any place along the scale <laughs> that we wish to stop and say, okay, that's enough for me. Yeah, we stop and catch our breath for a while <laughs> until we're yeah. ready to vibrate up again. So I wonder, people talk, if we, if we shift focus away from the woman, because this is the, the baby's birth, this is when the baby is born and one of the most significant events of the baby's life. And some people say that, 
the pericardium starts, like the the function of the pericardium starts on birth and that first breath in activates the pericardium. Where does that fit in, in the model that you've described today? The pericardium has already been established during that transition between embryonic and fetal life in utero during the third month of pregnancy. That's when the fetal shin is purified and the hun and the po are established. So the the pericardium dynamic is already there just before one enters into the second trimester in the programming of the shin. And then that sets up the the prenatal dynamic that then at birth the uh, postnatal dynamic of the pericardium is established. And, you know, these 10 months of pregnancy when different dynamics are set up and established each month that have a much deeper meaning that, you know, at at the expulsion of birth, which is dominated by wood, we have to have that power of wood to bring life into existence. And it it fully shifts into the forward Sheng dynamic where we move from wood into fire. And now this little being moves on its own and is susceptible to insults. And the insults are not mistakes. We don't want to impose any more than are necessary, of course. But every being experiences hurt, experiences wounds, experiences trauma. And we're meant to. So that we can overcome them. So that we can transcend them. If there's nothing to transcend, you know, I, I kind of tongue-in-cheek joke with people about like and you know it's easy to say well this is the Taoist view I don't actually know that but that's where I got the first idea of this you know through this oral tradition which Jeffrey Yuan passes on so magnificently and beautifully and I, I don't know if he said it this way but this is my interpretation of it that Everything, absolutely everything is meant to be. Everything is meant to be. Every insult is meant to be. And a life isn't really worth living if there aren't any challenges. So the Taoist view in this interpretation would be like the more challenges you get in life, the more potential for transcendence you have to shed some density and vibrate even higher. But if you don't have anything to work with, kind of come in and go out at the same level. Which would be a shame, right? Right. And here we think that we have to create these perfect lives for our children and I've got the nursery ready and I finally have the job and the partner and everything the way I want it. And you know what? Life comes through homeless crack addicts living on the street that are raped just as well. And life that chooses that level of existence can still become a transcendent Buddha. Not necessarily the one that was born with the silver spoon in his mouth. So true. You know, I was reading an article the other day and the the basic premise of the article was it is such an awful thing to wish someone 
a comfortable life. Mm. All of those missed opportunities for growth and exploration and contrast of the wonders of heaven. You know, when I when I had a real shift in the way that I practiced, I started to see that my own intention as a you know being in this healing profession was I want to make people feel better. I want to take away their pain. I want them not to hurt. And I realized what a disservice I was doing. And, you know, while that is an aspect of the compassion that's a part of my makeup, I have to do the same thing. And, you know, do I have the ability to walk with somebody through the deepest, darkest level of their own suffering so that they can come out the other side? And boy, there was a shift in the way that I practiced. There was a shift in, you know, how many individuals that came to me at that point had more of their own transcendent experiences where things just fell away from them. But it can't be something that happens in this field of medicine if we don't go through it ourselves. And I'm a real, you know, I'm. I get up on the pulpit a little bit and say, you got to do your own work, folks. You don't expect these miracles to happen if you're the one who's having this comfortable practice. And okay, this is as far as I'm going to go. I'm, you know, I'm making lots of money. I've got a reputation. And yeah, my life's kind of shitty and things don't work. But, uh, you know, at least I've got money and I've got a reputation. (laughs) So... As I say, not as not I everybody do. embraces that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of which, um, as as we wrap up, I know that you you enjoy facilitating practitioners through these processes of self reflection and change and doing the work. Um, when are, when are your next scheduled or if you have any scheduled uh, retreats coming up or workshops or seminars, where can people get more of your your wisdom and insights? Well, I, I don't have a lot on the schedule because I have so many other things, but I, I'm planning on doing a practitioner's retreat where I'm really it's it's similar to what I'm going to be doing down in Australia next spring, but it, it's probably going to be this fall, most likely the last week of September in Austin, Texas, if I can get it set up with everything that's going on now with the big scare. <laughs> but it's going to be, yeah. my intention is to have it start Friday afternoon in the last weekend in September and go all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Um, and then everybody can fly home Monday morning um, or Sunday night. But that's like a two and a half day retreat process. And I do love these. And while a lot of what I present, you know, is is you know, kind of based on the things that we talk about, I want to help people live and practice from that level and go through their own internal process. 
Um, it's, there's a lot of movement to it. It's not, it's not an academic retreat where, you know, come with your pens and papers and sit in front of a PowerPoint screen. It's like, no, sit on your tail. And, you know, this is for people that really do want to do the inner work and want to have this experience of, you know, your own transcendence, the, the alchemy of what Chinese medicine really has to offer in the deepest way. You know, come away from your life, come away from the known, come away from the control, and get into the power of the mystery that you have the ability to inhabit. So anyway, back to the only one that I have scheduled now, now that there have been some cancellations of some other ones, is that one at the end of September. And then the next one following that so far is the one that I'm going to be doing down in, uh, down under or wherever it is that we decide to do it in spring of next year. Yeah, we're aiming for March 2021, but we're just, we're still trying to lock down a venue and get some specific dates but um yeah that'll be soon and of course you'll be presenting at IICMC in Melbourne in August 2020. Looking rain forward to that. Yeah rain or shine. <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, our conference is going ahead we have a plan B should coronavirus close us down but um yeah we we know that you're motivated to come across. So, um, yeah, you'll be presenting there too. Amazing. Well, I'll yeah. post up the links for, uh, for our listeners who want to uh, find out more about potentially uh, working with you and learning more about the way that you can um, help practitioners to learn more about our medicine. And I look forward to having you on the show again soon. We've got some great topics to, to go into, and uh, it's always such a pleasure. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure for me as well. It's just such fun. It really is. It really enlivens me. So thank you for the opportunity to present what I love best. Ah, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. And for our listeners, um, if you're loving our show, we'd love you to uh, give us a give us a raving review on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever platform you're using to listen to us. And of course, uh, if you could head to our Facebook page, give us a like, follow uh, what we're up to, have a look through our previous episodes as well. There's lots of lots of magic and um, and great information to find in there. Uh, until next time, bye for now.